those of you who are new, you're probably wondering, why in the world do you call them ethos communities? Are you just trying to be really cool, and instead of calling them small groups, you call them ethos communities? No, we're not trying to be cool. Uh, I'll explain to you in a moment, but by the fact that you're asking the question why they're called ethos communities just indicates to me that you're newer to the church, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I especially want to be encouraging, and, and, and uh, to those who are freshmen who are here, I'm very encouraged that you're here. Like I said, September is chaotic, so what you're seeing happening this morning is not normal. We normally go through books of the Bible. We just finished up the book of 1 Samuel, and two weeks from now, we'll start the book of James as we look at faith that works. But right now, we're in this three-week mini-series about the church. It's called Stained Glass. We're calling it Stained Glass. You can think about the stained glass of historic churches Spiritually speaking, you can see each of us as a piece of stained glass redeemed in Christ, which is not very impressive, but if you put us all together and the light of the gospel of Jesus shines through us, it's, it's glorious. And last week we started out looking at the universal church. If you went to church in Uganda or parts of China or South America or here in Evanston, uh, the true church would have certain similarities and marks to the churches all around the world. We we looked at seven marks of the biblical church, whether that's believing and doing the word of God, uh, uh, fun stuff like church discipline. We looked at communion and baptism. You'll find these similarities as you travel around the world and uh, attend different churches. Well, this morning we're going to bring it in a little bit more localized and look at this church, our local church, and something we call ethos. Every church kind of has its own ethos and vibe. There, there is some overlap, of course, but what is the ethos of this local body? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we dive into God's Word, let's just, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me, please. Father, you have established your people. You've put us together as the bride of Christ. And we want to begin uh, this morning acknowledging that we're part of a larger body, And we pray for many of our brothers and sisters around the world who right now are being persecuted for following Jesus. Specifically, we pray for the protection and perseverance of pastors as they stand strong for Jesus in Sudan under a variety of persecutions. We pray also for the church to have great compassion on refugees fleeing their homelands due to war and oppression. And we continue to pray for the larger city that we are part of in Chicago as a, a variety of churches are ministering to those... Uh, who were affected by the violence this past week. And Lord, finally, as we think about the church you've established here in Evanston, our local church, may your word come alive and encourage us and convict us so that we continually desire to grow as the bride of Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start by asking a question to the freshmen. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. If you're a freshman, you know it. But I want my, my question to the freshmen to branch out to hit all of us. And it's this question. What's your life going to look like in four years? Four years from now, what are you doing? What's your life going to look like? I read this article once from the Harvard Business Review, and it was titled, You Make Better Decisions If You See Your Senior Self. You make better decisions if you see your senior self. And the the concept is when you see yourself as a senior citizen. But you can think of it as a senior in college as well. And the idea is that 
many people are disconnected from the person they are going to be in the future, say, four years from now. And the idea is, is that you can't see how your current behavior affects them personally in the future. So a study was done to show people what they would look like in the future as a senior citizen. They took their picture and they turned them into like this aged uh, avatar, like, you know, a digitally altered avatar. And they showed them what they'll look like in the future. And so when people, let's say in their 20s, start to see what they would look like as a senior citizen, their face is, you know, moving and shaping, they're getting older, and they, they started to save more money for retirement. They thought, wow, I'm actually going to get old one day. And when, they, when college students started to see their future self, what they would look like, they were less likely to cheat on a test. Now, the, now they're really pushing it with this study. They're saying, maybe we can show people what they'll look like if they keep on smoking, what it's going to do to their face, or if they don't control their diet, what their bodies are going to look like and their faces are going to look like years down the road. I thought, well, that is such a cool study. Wouldn't it be awesome if I could show you this digitally altered avatar of yourself of what you'll look like four years from now, spiritually speaking? I don't have one, but that'd be really cool if I did have one. But what I I want to do is think about what are you going to look like four years from now, day-to-day living, your decisions you're making. What is your life going to look like four years from now? And what I want to do as we kind of go through this morning is I want to take you through a grid. It's an internal framework that we call ethos. In the life of our church the past five years, we've not talked much about vision. I know when you go to churches, they're always talking about vision. We've, we've, you won't hear a lot of vision talk here, though we are into vision. We talk a lot about ethos. Like, what's going on in your heart? What's going on at the core of who you are? Are you growing? Are you developing? What are you believing, the truth and the lies? And a technical definition of ethos, if you look it up on the Internet, it says something like the characteristic spirit of a culture or community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. We like to keep it simpler than that. And we say ethos is who we are and who we want to be. This is who we are as we follow Jesus. And this is who we aspire to be as we follow Jesus throughout the years. And we've created five ethos statements to kind of get at the core and the heart of who we are as the people of God. And I want to take these five statements and I want to hit all five of them and I want you to view them as a grid for your life. That if you incorporate this into your life, each ethos statement, what will your life look like four years from now? So examine your life. Examine where you'll be four years from now. So let's start off with the first one. We want to be a people who express humble orthodoxy. which means we want to be anchored in the orthodoxy of God's word, but without an arrogant attitude. Now today, in order to look at biblical texts, we're going to have to be flying back and forth in our Bibles. We're not going to be stuck in one text, which we will naturally be in the future. So if you want to go ahead and turn to the first one, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're we're just going to jump in, fly over, and then jump out to another one. Ephesians 4 shows us some of this humble orthodoxy. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Summarize. As we follow Jesus... We want to be grounded in a true unified belief known as sound doctrine or orthodoxy. Orthodoxy described in verse 13. Did you see it there? Verse 13 talks about the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. As we study the Bible, we're going deep into the truths of Jesus. We're grounding and rooted in our faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can get off the topic of Jesus and we can start to stray. And then the reality of verse 14 can come into play where it talks about children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Many of you who are in college may take a religion class from time to time at the university. For the rest of us, you may interact with a skeptical friend who comes along and says, there's no way Jesus is God. There's no way that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Look at all the religions in the world. There's no way that Jesus rose from the dead. That is such a myth. And if you're not careful, you'll shipwreck your faith. You can be tossed to and fro, and you can be thrown off if you're not anchored. I've been pastoring the church for a long time, and I've seen people shipwreck their faith, just totally fall away from Jesus. Remember years ago, two students specifically, they used to sit like right up front. Two guys sit up front. One of the guys had like a humongous Bible, about twice the size of this, and they would talk to me after every, every, every Sunday. They would just talk to me, and it was, it was so encouraging here, these two guys trying to follow the Lord. Both of them shipwrecked their faith. They're tossed to and fro by lies, deceived, totally fell away from Jesus. I don't want that to happen to any of you. And so we are going to go overboard each Sunday in teaching you the Word of God, rooting you in the faith. Like even right now, right now while I'm talking right now, right underneath us, there is a guy teaching a class on the resurrection. Because we just want to give you doctrine, we want to give you truth, we want to build you up in Jesus, because we want you to stand firm in Jesus. But get this, we want you to stand firm in doctrine in such a way that you're not arrogant, that you don't have a cranky attitude, that you're not a jerk. We want you to hold to the Word of God in a humble way. We get this humility in verse 15. Look in verse 15 again. It says, speaking the truth in love. So we want to hold to the Word of God We want to grow in Jesus, and that will require rooting ourselves in the Word and speaking the truth in love. Now, if you're not careful, you can hold to orthodoxy minus humility. 
I was talking this past uh, week to one of our EBFers. He was on a train going into the city, and he saw this guy on the train. You'll see a lot of stuff on the train. But he saw this guy on the train dressed up like a robot. And as he was dressed up like a robot, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was telling people about Jesus in a very uh, arrogant and rude and, and mean way. He had orthodoxy without humility. Now, the EBFer was observing this, and he was obviously being critical of this guy in his heart, but he thought to himself, that guy has orthodoxy without humility, but here am I sitting here being all humble but not saying anything, not sharing my faith at all. And this is what you'll tend to find. I'm just going to go ahead and paint with broad stroke here. You'll find an older generation that holds to the word of God they hold to the orthodoxy, and some of them, not, not all of them, but some of them lack humility. They're very arrogant and proud about it. And so the younger generation reacts against that and say, I don't want to be like them, and so I'm going to be humble. But the problem with the younger generation is that a lot of times you never open your mouth. You don't hold, to, you believe the truth in here, but you don't say anything because you don't want to encroach upon anybody's beliefs, right? But what we're trying to say is bring the two together. You can speak the truth in love, and it can be a hard truth, but we want humble orthodoxy brought together. We're not getting rid of one or getting rid of the other. So from four years from now, every single person here, what will your humble orthodoxy look like? This is a time to get in the Word. This is a time to ask hard questions. Ask questions. If you're, you're struggling in your faith, you're having doubts, you're, you're, you're searching, ask the questions Talk about it in community. For, for the parents in here who have kids and your kids start asking hard questions, don't freak out. That's good. Ask the questions. Search the scriptures. Let's talk about this. And when you start to develop these strong, rooted convictions, don't be arrogant and don't be proud. Hold to this humble orthodoxy. Let's move on to the next one. I really like this next one. This next one is abiding worship. This cool picture of fruit on the vine shows that abiding worship is that connectedness to God where we offer all of life worship. And then we have some great verses that we use for this. One comes from John 15, 15. I'll just put it up on the screen for you. John 15, 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we abide in Jesus, we obey and we bear much, and bear much fruit. Another passage comes from Romans 12.1. This is a great one. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Bible has this idea of total worship. It's not like I'm just going to show up to church on Sunday morning worship. It has this idea of total, all of life, complete worship where we give God everything. Jesus has saved us by his blood. We submit to his lordship. We call him Lord. We give him everything. But one of the problems that you'll find in our culture, it is a problem in our culture, is that you will find and run across Christians, whether it's on college campuses or whether it's at your work, who will proclaim to have faith in Jesus. They may use the, ling the lingo like, I have accepted Jesus into my heart. So Jesus is somehow in their heart, and yet they are living their lives however they want. But they punch their ticket to heaven because Jesus is in their heart while they do whatever they want. There's a guy I really appreciate. He says something like this about this Roman passage. He says, what Paul is getting at, he's saying, don't give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. 
when we're talking about Jesus being in our heart, it's not like, all right, Jesus, repent, believe in you, you're reigning in our heart, and now I can do what I want. No, no. Jesus takes your whole entire life. You're submitting all of who you are to all of him. Every area of your life, your private life is not off limits. What you do at school, not off limits. At work, not limits. What you do in your community, none of it's off limits. All submission to him. Now, I want you to think about this concept of abiding as we are abiding in Jesus. Think about things that you may abide in in your life things that you're really consumed with, that you're really into, and how those can kind of get off kilter, um, where you can have inordinate desires for them. I, I know a lot of people right here are into sports. You're glad football has started back up again. You like watching it. Some of you are really into your schooling or your work, into relationships. If you're not careful, you can start to get into them too much where things get out of whack. And, and you see this. Have you ever known a friend of yours who, who started dating uh, someone else? And they started dating in a very unhealthy way. And what I mean by that is they weren't into sexual morality or anything like that. They were just, they were into each other so much that it's almost as if they were worshiping each other. And you can tell once this is happening because their relationship kind of creeps you out. You're like, that just doesn't seem right. So how can you date, go to school, Go to work in such a way where you do those things while you're abiding in Jesus and you participate in those things for the glory of God. You don't abide in those things. You don't worship those things. You worship Jesus and glorify him in these different spheres of your life. Well, practically speaking, abiding worship plays itself out in something called prayer. You can tell if you're abiding in your worship and obedience to Jesus through a life of dependency expressed in prayer. Now, the problem with prayer, especially talking about prayer to this congregation, is that competent people don't like to pray because competent people with degrees or working on degrees have things figured out. And so prayer seems to kind of be your last resort thing. But here's the problem. If you're not careful and if you put your prayer life on hold, your competence is going to fuel your prayerlessness. And your prayerlessness will further your self-sufficiency. And before long, your self-sufficiency will lead to ineffectiveness. Happens all the time. Let me put it to you in English like this. You can't skip on an intimate relationship with God and move on to doing stuff for God. You just can't do it. You can't skip, skip on an intimate relationship with God through prayer and just, I'm going to start doing stuff for you. That doesn't work that way. It'll be ineffective over the long haul. The two have to be connected. You have to be involved in seeking the face of God, coming to him on a daily basis through prayer, laying down your agenda, confessing sin, finding joy in him and the power you need to live a godly life. And some of you may want me to tell you, like, some guidelines to prayer. Like, you need to get up at 5.30 in the morning and pray for about an hour, or you need to pray at night. I don't have any guidelines for you right now, but I do want to say this. A godly person has said, I never pray longer than five minutes. But five minutes never goes by without me praying. 
I'm not going to pray longer than five minutes, but five minutes will not go by without me praying. It sounds kind of biblical, right? That concept of praying continually. And as we abide in Christ, dependent upon him, we will worship him in all of our lives. Well, the next ethos statement we have is missional community. Look at this picture. This is a picture of the grid of a, of a city. If you notice, you have these two internal squares represent uh, the, the community that goes out and then comes back in, then goes out to impact the city, then comes back at the community. It's that missional community concept. And a passage I love that, that sums this up is a passage I've preached more uh, than any other passage in the Bible, and it comes from Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn to that real quick, it's really great. Acts chapter 2, great passage on community. Acts two forty two through 47. What a great missional community here. Start in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a great picture? Our community's praying together. They're studying the word together. They remember the Lord's death together. They're sharing their belongings. They're just generally living life together. And, and what I would say, this is the kind of life we're trying to live in our ethos communities. We are trying to get in our ethos communities and live out our ethos and these, these biblical commands and imperatives in the, in the smaller group life of our church. And, and I do want to say, students, a lot of you are freshmen, you're new students, you're an integral part of these groups. We want you in these groups. Many students have been involved in these groups over the years. And I say this every year. There is something that we can offer you. There's many things, but there's one main thing that we can offer you in these groups that you will not find on campus. We support and encourage the, the ministries on campus, but there is something that we can offer you that the campus groups cannot offer you, and that is old people. I'm one of them. You need old people in your life to encourage you. They've gone before. They know what's up on some areas. They can pray for you. They can build you up. But the old people, we need you too. We need your prayers, your encouragement, your zeal for Jesus. And this happens in community. But get this. This is the hard part. This is where it gets hard. Community never is meant to terminate on ourselves. That's, that's not missional community where you're just so focused in on each other and ignore everything else. That's not what was going on in Acts 2. If you notice verse 47, it says specifically, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they're in community together, and yet people are getting saved because they're branching out and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. We, we have a world that is severely broken in need of Christ to compassion. So we want to be a, a community that comes together and then goes out and serves. Now, now, think about this. Think about community minus mission. Small groups are really good at that, that community minus mission. We, we tend to do community really good, but we omit mission. 
Well, now think about mission minus community. Organizations. Organizations tend to do mission well, but omit community. That's why we're saying that our mission is tied to community, and our community is integral to mission, and that's why we must hold to this missional community. Four years from now, what will your life look like in missional community? I want to speak to the upcoming year as far as ethos communities. I also want to speak to the upcoming year for the parachurch and the community campus ministries. For those of you here that are represented with the IV, AAIV, CREW, RUF, GCF, KCF, Athletes in Action, and others, I want to say this to all the ethos communities and those of you who are involved in community on campus, I want to tell you this. Now is your time. Who cares what happened last year? Let's not worry about what the composition of the group was last year. Let's focus on right now in God's sovereign control. He's put these people together at this time in your life to impact one another and impact those who don't know Jesus. This is your time. This is your season to function as a missional community for the glory of God. The next one is invested sojourners. I'm going to spend all next week preaching on this one, but let's touch on it real quick. Invested sojourners. This is an awesome picture of as if the people are coming from the four corners of the earth to here at this Evanston for a season before moving back out to um, invest in the world. I have a lot more to say next week, but briefly I want to mention First Peter, First Peter chapter two, eleven to twelve. Much more verses next week. But First Peter two, eleven and twelve says, Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea of a sojourner is one who is just passing through with a permanent home elsewhere. Most of you are sojourners here in Evanston for a season of your life. One of the ways that I can tell that you are a sojourner is that I will look at your cell phone and you will have a different area code, right? We could be going to lunch and you can call me like, Florida, who's calling me from Florida? Who's calling me from New York? It just, your cell phone gives you away. You're from somewhere else. You're not even going to change your cell phone. You're just here for a season until you plan on going back. You're sojourning through the Evanston area. But one of the things that we really try to talk about a lot at our church is that everybody's a sojourner. All of us are sojourners because we have our permanent home in heaven. That is our true citizenship. We are just passing through this earth and one day we'll be with Jesus forever. So here's the encouragement I give to those who are in Evanston. Whether you're here for seven months, seven years, or 70 years, when you're here, it's time to invest. It's time to impact others. It's time to make a difference. I was talking to this this guy. He told me that when he was a kid, he went to camp, and he hated camp. He did not want to go to camp at all. And so he went to camp, and the way that he rebelled while he was at camp is that he did not unpack He showed up, brought his stuff, did not unpack, did not want to be there. And yet as the week went on, he actually started to enjoy camp. And on the last day, he unpacked. Emotionally and mentally, unpack. You're here. 
Some of you might not want to be here. Too bad you're here. Let me encourage you to unpack. Now is the time to make a difference that God brought you here in someone else's life. And get this, it's not just time to get here to get your degree or get your first job and then move on to some other phase of life. No, is there, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be a big part of your life. So consider investing in others, in your church, on campus, your neighbors. I mean, next week we're going to have someone here who's going to help you invest in vulnerable children in our community. Next month we're going to talk to you how to invest in those who are suffering in our community as senior citizens. We're also going to talk to you how to, to invest in, in families in times of crisis. There's many of opportunities where we have to be invested sojourners. And here's one of the ways that you can really tell that over the next four years that you've been uh, an invested sojourner. This is the way I can really tell whether you've been an invested sojourner is that when you leave, will you be missed? There's some people that go to our church and then they leave and we don't notice they're gone until like three months later. It's like, I guess they're gone. What do they do while they were there? Well, they didn't do nothing. I guess they're gone. It's like, we be missed. When you leave, people go, oh man, I miss them. They were really pouring into me. They were really pouring in the community. And now is the time to be an invested sojourner. And the last one, the last one, pervasive gospel. Easy to understand is ripples and sound waves through the air. So we preach a gospel that has the power to go everywhere. All right, stay with me on this last one. Let's look at one more passage from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. Let me read this to you, this pervasive gospel. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. God has commissioned us as his church with the gospel message. That basically means that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of sinners, we can repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus, and be reconciled to a holy God forever. This is something that pervades us. We speak it to each other. I can say to you, my brother in Christ, you are accepted. There's no condemnation, my sister, in Christ Jesus. We continue to preach the gospel to each other, to ourselves, but it also branches out of here. And we tell others about Jesus. We say, we have the greatest news ever. It's almost like we've, we found a cure for cancer or for AIDS. But this is, this is eternal life, the greatest news ever. We don't want to contain it to ourselves, but tell others about Jesus so they can be reconciled to God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something here, and I'm, I, I rarely do this. I'm going to be prophetic, okay? And so if I'm wrong, stone me. So here's, here's, here's how this works. I'm going to talk to the freshman. Once again, don't raise your hand. You know who you are. Four years from now, some of the freshmen in here are going to graduate. And for a year or two years after college, 
you are going to be like on a missionary journey where you're going to go somewhere full-time to tell others about Jesus. I'm just, I see it all the time. Freshmen come in, they're just thinking about getting through college, but as college wraps up, some of them consider, maybe God wants me to be a missionary. And they'll go for a year, or they'll go for two years, and they'll proclaim the gospel. I'm making that prediction right now. Some of your freshmen are going to do that. I'm going to make another prediction. 20 years from now, most of you freshmen who go through college sharing your faith, go on missionary short-term trips after college, 20 years from now, you won't share your faith at all. That is convicting to me. I mean, how does this work? Like when we hit our 40s and our 50s, people don't get saved anymore. Like in our 60s, the gospel has no power. People don't need to be reconciled to God. So I guess you just talk about Jesus when you're like in high school or college or a little bit in your 20s. But beyond that, zip it. Do we really believe that people still need to reconcile to God? And if we do, we'll be convicted to open our mouth and speak the gospel. We want to see this gospel pervade our congregation and break out into our city where we're actually telling people the good news of Jesus. What's your life going to look like in four years? Presidential candidates are often annoyingly asked, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And they ask the question in a negative tone, and you're supposed to say, no, I'm not better off today. But I'm saying to you, four years from now, you better have seen some growth. You better have seen some growth. Four years from now, if you're in the same spot you are now or going backwards, there's something going wrong. But that's going to be you four years from now unless you're intentionally doing something starting today. Where you're intentionally saying, you know what? I don't know the Bible very well and I am tossed to and fro. I'm going to root myself in a humble orthodoxy. Today you're going to go, you know what? I really don't pray. I mean, I got in, maybe you got into Northwestern, one of the smartest people in the world. I don't need to pray. You're going to start praying. And a lot of you are disconnected in community. You're going to jump in missional community. You're going to start, hey, maybe I should invest. Where can I invest in people now, not later, now? And you're going to start sharing the gospel. And let me tell you this. You can't do it alone. If you think you're going to grow and be sanctified personally by yourself over the next four years, not going to happen. You need community. And we have set up ethos communities for your growth. And my brothers and sisters, I want to say this now. There is no opt-out clause for anyone to be outside a community. There is never a phase of your life where you should not be in community with other brothers and sisters. Too many times we make excuses, and I have heard them all. Oh, I'm just moving to Evanston for a new job. I'm working 80 hours a week. There's no way God wants me to be in community. As if God is up in heaven with some opt-out sheet saying, okay, you don't have to be in community. Oh, you got a job? Oh, I brought you to Evanston just to work. And for those of you who are athletes in college, I'm going to do a little bragging right now. I actually went to college to play sports on a scholarship, okay? So I was busy. And you think God's looking down and going, oh, Jason, he's in college. He's playing sport. Opt out. No community for him. Any doctoral students in here thinking, okay, 
I'm here working on my doctorate. I'm busy. I get to opt out of community. How about, how about new moms, new dads, babies? They're cranky. They're messing with you. Oh, I can opt out. I got a baby. Oh, God's like, oh, you have a baby? Oh, man, just get away from community. And people press me on this. I mean, people, they just make all types of excuses. They're like, no, 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 not everybody has to be a community. What if there was like this astronaut? He goes up into the space station. He's by himself. He, he can't. Okay, an astronaut at the space station, he can opt out of community. So all the astronauts in here, no community for you. We make up the most ridiculous stuff. No season of your life where you should be opting out of community because there's no season in your life where you shouldn't be growing in Jesus. And the structure we've created here is ethos communities. And there are men and women in here who are ready to open their houses, their condos, their apartments for you to come in this week. There are men and women in here who are planning on encouraging you and teaching you and building up in your faith this week. And they're ready to welcome you. And I just want to pause here at the end. For those of you who are hosting or leading an ethos community this year, will you go ahead and stand up, please? Just go ahead and stand up wherever you're at. Those of you who are hosting and leading ethos communities. They had a different set in the first service, a different set in this service. These are people who are here to welcome you, to encourage you, and to build you up in your faith. They spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of energy over the years to welcome you in. And so I want to go ahead and kind of commission you guys and pray for you. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I, I just ask that you would uh, stir us all up to being community this year so we can grow in your word. We can grow in sharing your truth. We can be convicted and deal with some of the issues in our lives and be built up in our faith. And I pray for the men and women here who are hosting or teaching that the, um, the community that goes on in their homes and what is taught would be pleasing in your sight, that you would give them strength and power uh, to love people in their homes, strength and conviction to lead people with endurance throughout the year. And may all of us, may, may no one go out of here today trying to opt out of community, trying to make sure that they're exempt. Lord, you have called us and you've placed us here in this Evanston area during this time for your glory. And may we make the most of every single opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.